on our next few, we've got another episode with Jeff Watt. We've got one with Colt Doyle of um, Doyle Manufacturing and Team Towhead. And we've got one with Alex Templeton. Some of you guys might know her, a uh, cattle farmer in Northern Missouri. Does a lot of stuff with Sitka, uh, Yeti, Matthews, Leatherman Tools, Can-Am, a, a bunch of companies that you guys uh, will have heard of. That'll be really interesting. We're looking forward to that. But um, tonight we've got, Ira and I are kind of discussing a few things along the lines of what our podcast is based on. And then some questions that other folks have had and some questions that, that, you know, that we, we think would be interesting to, <clears throat> to discuss. So we're kind of going to be bouncing some things back and forth and, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I think, uh, I think some of it will be, some of it will be pretty interesting. Okay. Let's get into it, Joe. All right. So Joe, this has got to be more interesting than our snow goose hunt this afternoon, because it was definitely not interesting. Unless you call setting out in snow, uh, having snow geese 900 miles high and not firing a single shot interesting. If you think that's interesting, I'd like to book you for a hunt tomorrow. I will. Uh... Visiting with one of our other future guests, Jim Giannottis, who's another big industry guy and, and got a cool story, but uh, that's story for another day. It is cool, Jim. It, it, the story is for another day, but I'll say, Jim, the way he kind of came up through the ranks from, like he said today, literally fletching arrows at, at Bass Pro, or I mean at Cabela's, to, you know, owning a, a company that's acquiring outdoor brands and, and you know, kind of streamlining some of the processes that some of the daily brands you hear and use every day, helping make those companies better and help those companies grow. Um, that's a true started from the bottom, now we're here story. Um, it's yeah, cool. right, with Bass Pro, some of the older guys might remember David Letterman used to always make fun of the sign liquor guns and ammo. And we worked at liquor guns and ammo in Columbia, Missouri. It was Tommy Foster's Bass Pro. And he had the infamous and, and some other people did too, liquor guns and ammo uh, sign. And literally we were minnow counters and worm counters. They'd come in like a thousand worms in a box and we'd have to put 12 in a container. And that's how, you know, I'd spent eight years of my life counting minnows and worms to get through college. My parents helped me too, but I worked 40 hours a week counting minnows and worms and had a sawed off shotgun underneath the counter pointing at the customer's knees because we sold the bump, which was like, you know, bottom dollar gin. And I mean, we had some characters come in there, but it was not a safe place to work, but it was, it was cool though. Did any of those bottles ever walk off with the workers? Uh, never, Joe. We, we did not do that. We did not partake in the uh, company inventory. We didn't have, I didn't have a liquor, guns, and ammo, and my parents didn't help me with shit in college. But whenever I was there, we had a kid fail out of school next door to me. And um, you got liquor, guns, and ammo. I took care of the tobacco. I would go to Costco with my elderly grandpa and load up with chewing tobacco and come back and put it in this room. I taped the sign to the door that said Tobacco Joe's. And, uh, I'd make like a dollar a can on the people that didn't that commuter or the people that didn't have uh, have vehicles at school, and that kept me going long enough to buy me my uh, gas to go hunting and stuff. It got shut down, but it was fun while it lasted. Well, I'd be down for that. I mean, I might have stolen a couple crickets to put in my roommate's bed, but I did not steal any liquor. <laughs> uh, here's a question. So, asking a couple questions. Here's one um, that I think is kind of interesting. I came up with a couple of these and a couple of these were inspired by folks on our Instagram page and some of my buddies that have texted me questions that they thought would be interesting, but all right, Ira, when it comes to a duck hunting property, I know this 
this is an open an open question, but when it comes to a duck hunting property, what are you looking for in a property? What are the keys that you feel like they need to have and what are some non-negotiables? Well, I mean, it's just like everything else, real estate. So, you know, you look at successful developers in the real estate world that are trying to make money. What's the best thing you can do? The best thing you can do is have a premium property in a great location. And even if you have to overpay for it, you're probably going to make money on it and, and probably going to make a lot of money and probably be way better off than buying something that may or may not be a bargain that's not in a great spot. In the duck hunting world, location is a huge part of the game, especially in Missouri. Now, you know, I don't know a whole lot about when you get further south and you get habitat that's more right, widespread. But here, you know, our habitat is so concentrated that you've got to have a, a property that's in the right spot. So if you don't have that, then management, obviously, it's always very important, regardless of where you are. But like, like I've always said a bajillion friggin' times, I've never killed a duck that didn't fly over me. And so, you know, if you're just not under them, you're not in them, and you're not in the game. So you've got to be in a place where you're at least going to have a chance. And even if money is not a big issue man it's just so hard to come across good pieces of property in the span of a lifetime not not a year or even a decade but a lifetime i mean those you know really good properties are just so hard to come by you better have a checkbook and you better have some cash and you better be ready to pull the trigger because they just they just don't come around very often at least not in our neck of the woods where you know, we're pretty concentrated, but really, I, I think that anywhere and, and I mean, I, I don't want to be cliche, but, you know, look at what's happened to oil the last couple of months. I mean, should, well, heck, the last couple of years has gone up and up and up and up. And I really think that, you know, good duck hunting properties are just going to continue to do that. And uh, I know it's scary. I know that, you know buying ground scary and making an investment is scary but i look back through my life including my professional career and all that and you know our our hunting properties and real estate stuff has been some of the stuff that a we've definitely gotten the most enjoyment out of but b we've also had honestly the best or some of the best returns on investment um of our life what it might be scary to do a real estate deal, but to me, what's scarier is sit there and think about the time you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years old and not have a hunting spot you can take your kids to or enjoy yourself. I mean, you know, it, it's like, and maybe I'm misspeaking here and I'm not just saying this because it's where we are, but I, I feel like just from a guy that's going to pick a spot on a map, you know, you're going to look at your different places you're going to go hunt. Let's just say you're looking in Missouri, you know, Swan Lake area in Missouri, Swan Lake Grand Pass, that whole stretch, um, Arkansas, Kansas, Southeast Missouri, wherever you're looking. I know everybody's probably going to disagree with me that is in those areas, but from what I've seen and the places I've been, the Swan Lake zone is by far the toughest spot to crack into and get a good spot. Unless you've just got a pile of money 
to dump onto somebody who's already got an amazing spot and they need to sell for whatever reason. But you know, as well as I do, it doesn't matter what you offer. A lot of guys around here, they're just, we're so refuge dominated. There's so few good spots that are historically good spots. The people that have them aren't letting go of them. And you can develop your ass off. If you're not in the right spot up here, you can dump a pile of money into tillable ground and development and still be SOL. You know, if you're not in the right area, it's just like, I feel like in Arkansas, there's more ducks going different ways. In, in Southeast Missouri, it's the same thing. You can build it and they will come. And that's, you can build it and they'll come up here, but it's got to be in the right freaking spot. And, you know, it, if you look at, if you look at a map, which I spent a lot of time doing, I keep hoping I'm going to find a new like 20 or 30 or 50 acres somewhere that I missed the last thousand times. But, you know, you look at the names on the map and it's big farmers, historic farm families. It's outfits like Habitat Flats that, you know, have acquired these places. It's, you know, clubs like longstanding historic clubs that, that aren't planning on selling. It's just, it's a tough place to crack into up here. Well, there's just so little available. I mean, I'm not talking about available for sale, just like so little available habitat, you know, it's, it's definitely unique, but you know, I want to step back again, just give a couple of examples, which I've got so many, but, um, and, and I don't think we've talked about this before, but I think back to the mud hole days when I didn't have a nickel to rub together, you know, and they asked me for a PFS and I didn't even know what it was. And we could have bought it for 800 bucks and now God knows what it's worth. And, and, you know, locust grove and, you know, we didn't have any money again. And, you know, I, I was buying it for my buddy and he died and his wife, she ended up honoring the deal, even though she had an offer cash offer for more than double what we were buying it for, because that's what her husband who's deceased had told us that he would buy it for. And, you know, we're just spinning our wheels trying to figure things out. And, you know, those, those things are just things that they don't come around. And when you're young, you don't realize how special an opportunity might be, but the older you get, it's like planting a tree. You know, you plant a tree when you're young, you don't think anything about it. You plant a tree when you're, 55 or 60 and you're like well i hope someone enjoys that someday you know and and buying farm can kind of be the same way but like locust grove which i hope your wife's listening in kelly i hope you're listening to the great fortune that somebody whose husband passed away had by selling something for half price or less to go i'm waiting to see when the next episode is coming out i'm sure it, well it's it, kelly you can learn a lot it sounds like that's really made somebody's day so you just keep that in mind and i'll be right here if something ever happens um, but I'm going to need it to be for a lot less than half. I, that's what, that's my thing though. If somebody walked up to you and I know there's other people to consider, but if somebody walked up to you and was like, Hey man, how much for that place? <clears throat> is there even amount of money that, that somebody could give? I, I wouldn't think. Let's talk to Aaron about this last week. And we were talking about how fortunate we are to have a place that means so much to us, you know? And he said, I don't care if it was a billion dollars, I would not sell it. I mean, what are you going to do with the money? Go try to find another one? Uh, probably lose it in the stock market. <laughs> yeah, speaking of oil, I are dumping into UCO. Uh, I mean, that's yeah, good to me. That that's yeah, you could probably buy another one. That but that's the thing with me. Like you know, what if it's a if it's a spot like that? You know, I got one spot like that. If it's a spot like that, I wouldn't care what anybody gave. There's just there's no amount of money, and I want money more than anybody. But there's just at a certain point there's just no amount of money that you could, that you could put on a place like that. So that's the thing. You got these people with five, five or 600 acres locked up in a spot. Like 
like Iron Aaron. And it's like, well, you know, you're not going to get a chance at that anytime soon because, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, that's a giant swath of habitat in this area. So it's cool. But I mean, if, if you're, if you're Ira though, if you're looking at a property for, let, let's just say you're not up here, let's say you're, you're anywhere else. Let's say you're somewhere where ag can be bought a little more reasonable or, or whatever. Where's an area you would go look if you weren't here? Where's where's the place that interests you that you'd consider looking around that, that you think might make sense duck wise? Well, I mean, I don't want to drive too far, right? So like, I love Arkansas. I mean, you know, they have so much habitat. It's such a cool state, man. I just love to go down there and look around. I'm like, my jaw hits the floor and so cool. I don't even I kill a duck i just love to look at all the stuff man it blows my mind because we don't have it but it's also you know six seven hours from my house so like for me the boot heel is somewhere that i could have a place that was in the south zone to extend my season that uh is within a reasonable driving distance and all that so you know maybe i'll buy something down there with hopefully with some people or whatever i mean i've got friends down there and you know if it came up i'd be i'd be interested in that just because you know it's it's not too far and it would check the box of extending the season and all that but like up here man i'm probably not very motivated to buy much more because it just i mean i've got it just wouldn't really expand my opportunity much you know and and like canada canada's just I want to go to Canada and hunt like a bunch of our listeners, but I don't really want to own stuff in Canada. I mean, we've got, you know, some stuff up there, but I don't, I don't really want to own anything in Canada. I mean, there's a lot of variables and taxes and, you know, you got old, I mean, just the, all the politics and you're basically dealing with two governments and one government's more than enough. Why, why deal with two? So I'd say the boot heel, if I was the next thing I, I would do if I was going to do something would be the boot heel. That I we had a hunt this year, the boot heel, and I've had a couple good ones there. But this year, <clears throat> down there at North Delta, we had a hunt down there that was unfreaking real. Those guys have a cool operation down there, and I don't know. I know they're not the only people down there that have cool stuff going on because I know I have other buddies that do. You know, I know Baird's got a cool place, and I know several of my buddies that have farms out there that kill a lot of ducks, but um, man, that North Delta deal, that was crazy. You know, we come from a refuge dominated thing where it's point A to point B down there is just, you know, they got a natural spot. Ducks are just milling around, you know, acting like ducks respond to the call. It was, it was a lot of fun down there that that SEMO area. And I know that's a big area, but that part of the world we were in that day was, was a lot of fun. Hey, I, Joe, I want to get into one thing here before we get too far away from it, but, you know, I, I want to do uh, a segue into like where we came from and and also, you know, how people should think about their opportunity to potentially get into buying a duck property. Because I remember when, you know, Josh Ditch worked for me with Mo Marsh and, and he, he made a comment one day because we owned some ground and had you know, a lot of businesses and stuff going, he's like, well, those are rich guy problems. And I love Josh and you love Josh. And, but, but what he didn't realize when he first started working for me was that I wasn't any different than him or anybody else. I mean, it's not like 
I came from money and, and you look around me and around us. And I mean, honestly, a lot of people and, and this podcast is meant to be inspirational from a success story, you know, business side, money side, property management side, whatever. But, you know, it's easy to say, well, you've got this, so you must have fallen into that. But but the truth of the matter is me and a lot of people around me and in my circle and in our circle and in this industry, they didn't come from much. And and they just they took some risks and we've talked about risks and it'll be a continuing thing because that's what gets you there. Right. So like you put yourself out there, man, you freaking keep your ears open and nose to the grindstone and when you think you got a deal you you lay it down and do it when you're young and you don't have much to lose but you know we were all public hunters i mean i didn't have anywhere to go i mean i hunted public ground just like you and and so many people that are and will be our guests and um but you know for a guy that has a, a regular job or is starting a company and struggling and and all that, man, always keep your eyes open and be looking for that stuff because it's not out of anyone's reach to own 10 acres or 20 acres or 50 acres or whatever. And maybe you share the cost with a buddy. I mean, when Aaron and I bought Lux Grove, we asked our dad to be our partner. He wasn't interested. We didn't have the money. We asked another guy. And, and you know, then we did some under financing stuff because we didn't have any cash and, you know, just if you think outside the box and you have a belief that you can make it work, it, it is something that a lot of people, if they just really believe that they can make it work and they really want to make it work, you can, whether it's, you know, the business side or owning property side or whatever. But I just want to try to, you know, not let people know, but, but just give them some positive reinforcement that, you know, we all start, it's not like we started with a silver spoon in our mouth. We started hunting public property and, and I wanted more. And, and I know you guys do too, and take advantage of those things when they come along, man, strike and, and be proactive and it'll probably pay off in the long run. So I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit and I think it's a good time to at least touch on it Oh yeah. and, you know, have some people think, you know, I, I could have a cool spot too. And, you know, just save away a few dollars and, and then, you know, when the opportunity is right, get something, it doesn't have to be the best place in the world to get started, but, you know, get a basis, get something to get started on and then go from there. You know, I think that's, Another thing I'd add to that is, you know, when you're sitting looking at your situation, especially when you're in the beginning stage of things, when you don't have anything like nothing, you know, you might have $5,000, you might have a thousand, you might have 500, you might have payments, this and that. And if you're starting, you know, especially if you're starting a new business or a new career or have a couple different things going on that could take off, I would just tell people, man, you never know what could happen in a year or six months. It might seem out of completely impossible right now. But if you take some time, take a year or two, take whatever it is and save up like you're talking to buy a spot. Well, 
the opportunity could present itself in a way you never thought it would. And if you haven't prepared, you know, that's why I hear people talk about buying farms like, oh, this farm's not as good as what I want. It's like, well, but you're buying and maybe I'm thinking of it wrong, but the way I see it is I'm buying an asset that's appreciating. <clears throat> if I can get it a decent interest rate, have a little money to put down on it, I can improve it. I can make it better. I can enjoy it. I can learn. Then when I go to sell it, it's going to have appreciated. I'm going to have done some work to it. I'm going to make some more money on it. And then I can take that and turn it into the property that I want when the time's right. So whether that's five acres, whether that's 10 acres, whether that's 50 acres, it all, it all depends. But you know, one things happen quickly and two never underestimate the, the ability to, to get it, get your foot in the door and start building something. Yeah. And the other thing, and Jeff Schrand told me this a long, long time ago, he said, well, you know, I thought about, the way I wanted to invest and I wanted to invest in my family and the way that I could invest in my family the best was that place that we could enjoy. He said, we can't enjoy money. It's in the stock market. We can't enjoy, you know, some, some piece of residential ground that I bought in Florida, but we can enjoy a duck hunting spot or a deer hunting spot, even if it's small, or whatever we can do, but you know, the return on investment from a family standpoint is, and a friend standpoint is way higher than just, you know, watching all the crazy stuff that goes on in the stock market or, you know, a 2% return on the bond market or whatever, you know, so just think about that when you're thinking about, man, you know, I've got a couple of nickels rubbed together. What should I do with them? Or even if you don't, then just think a little harder about it. How can I make this happen? And and you're, some deals will never happen. I mean, God, Joe, how many things have we tried where the people have just like laughed in our face over and over again or said no and don't call me again or for you, don't send me any more letters or whatever, you know, and and uh, and that's fine. But, but when you think about the times and the memories, I don't have any memories of the stock market other than investing in DWAC where I made, you know, a bunch of money in like an hour. Um, you know, thank God Donald Trump. But uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah I mean, in, investing in something that's going to give you a return in the way of memories and hopefully financially is something that, you know, anyone who's in the hunting community would would look at it as positive, I would think. You know, that that's another thing. Like for me, it's like, whenever people are like, man, I can never find anything. It's like, okay, how many phone calls have you actually made? How many doors have you beat on? How many stamps have you purchased? Cause I guarantee you I've gone through rolls and rolls. And I mean, I've got told no more times than, than, you know, you could imagine. Um, I, the only thing I've ever, I've ever had luck on the first try was ask my wife out to homecoming. She said, yes. And that, that deals worked so far so good, but everybody else, every, almost every other thing has been a no a hundred times before it's been a yes. So, you know, finding these farms and it, yeah, it, it, it's not fun sometimes. I mean, you called up you to, to buy or lease a farm and they're like, yeah, come up here and meet us at the kitchen table in 45 minutes, me. And I walk in and it's, it's me. I don't even know these people. And it's three generations of family sitting there with the running me over the coals about where's your this and that, and who are your references and all this. I don't even know these people that, that kind of stuff isn't that fun. But at the end of the day, you go through some of that stuff that's a little uncomfortable and, and that other people aren't willing to do. And, and and you be honest and you communicate with these people that you're wanting to buy, lease, rent, whatever from, it, you know, 
I don't have money, so I can't walk in and just necessarily say, hey, I've got more money than the next guy and I want to buy this thing. I've got to go in and I might have to listen to stories about what they did for a living and how they knew my uncle's girlfriend and blah, blah, blah for three and a half hours. But, you know, you got to get a little bit creative. Not everybody can just walk in and buy a place or buy a place when it's listed. You know, it takes a lot of extra. So for the people that are like, oh, there's just nothing out there. Well, let me tell you, bud, I'll tell you when there's nothing out there, because when there's nothing out there, then I'll have a lot more free time on my hands. But but there's still stuff out there. One more thing real quick, and then I'm done. We can move on. But I do have to throw my wife, Kelly, a bone. So we had no money. We had a chance to buy Locust Grove. And when I say we had no money, I had no money, like zero, a couple dollars of income. And I guess she loved me back then a lot more than she did now, which is for sure. But uh, we ended up selling her little house in Brentwood, Missouri, and I think we needed like $35,000 to buy Locust Grove. That was our part of the down payment in cash. And I had like, I mean, $100. So anyway, she ended up selling her house and, uh, and made some money there and put it towards buying this piece of duck hunting ground. And now, I mean, when I say that, I'm like, oh, my God, was that really my wife? But it was. And, you know, so. We, we'll, you know, as a duck hunter, we'll take help wherever we can get it. I mean, it might, it might have cost me eight million dollars in the long run, but you know that that eight thousand dollars on the front side was worth a whole whole lot of money. And you know, uh, it's a, it's an effort from everybody, and everyone's got to figure out their own way. But I am thankful that my wife was was she bought into the deal and was helpful, and and it's 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 been awesome for our family. It's been cool. Kelly, you're, you're great. I love you and all. So does Ira, obviously. But I will say that you came out on the winning side because I'd say that 35000 has been uh, multiplied like Jesus fed the 5000 when it comes to some of your other houses and kitchen remodels and stuff. And I think it's good. I think you should keep doing what you want to do. You've earned it. You got Basically, you got Ira. All right. Uh, next subject, please. You helped Ira get a farm that a billion dollars wouldn't buy. You got a lot, a lot of brownie points. Um. Uh, uh okay here's one so that that that's a long story out of a short question but i think that's all cool stuff um what uh okay what are your current thoughts or your thoughts on the current state of duck hunting i know it's a broad question but the hunting community regulations you know how do you see duck hunting waterfowl hunting as a whole you know right now what's your feeling towards that well joe this is a really screwed up answer. Okay. Oh boy. I, I hear the Evan. Part. I hear the Evan opening. Get ready, boys and girls. Actually, Woodford Reserve. So. Oh God. Uh, I was the scary part is I was thinking about this while I was in the shower for some random reason. And what I determined was that duck hunters and waterfowlers are like pedophiles. Oh God. Hail Mary. So, you know, we love to take advantage of, and we're really good at, at what we do when the population of our, uh, our target is young, right? So it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, you know, times are tough. The ducks don't fly in the morning. Um, my spot sucks. 
duck hunting's going to hell. It'll never be the same. The good old days are over, whatever the case may be. But in my mind, and, you know, I'm 52, so I've seen a, a couple of trends, um, not as many as a lot of people, but, you know, it's easy to be a good duck hunter when you have a good production year or a, a better snow goose hunter. I'll never say, and I've done a whole lot of it, but, you know, snow goose hunting is, you know, when, when they're young and there's a lot of them, uh, you're going to be a better snow goose hunter. And when they're young and there's a lot of them, you're going to be a better duck hunter. And obviously there's a million other factors come into play, but, um, you know, we've had a couple of tough years of production and it shows in the numbers. Like you look at our records and probably almost everybody's records across the country and they're going to show a similar thing, but, you know, we're going to have some better trends and hopefully no worse trends, but we probably will. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's always human nature to be, not always, but a lot of times, woe is me, the good days are gone, whatever the case may be. And uh, man, I just, I just really don't see it that way. I mean, I see it where we're lucky to go and we're lucky to have the opportunity and we should embrace the good years where we have young ducks and uh, good local habitat conditions. And we should also embrace the years that are tougher. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we all to varying degrees have the means or desire to answer the call to conservation. But I mean, golly, you know, we hit on it a little bit talking about nothing to do with duck hunting, but just talking about ag in general and, you know, some of the changes in policies and things that are out there. And man, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things that that touch on what happens in our community and many of them are most of them are besides on the very local level totally out of our control and uh, so then it really just boils down to passion and heritage and and all those things that you know duck hunting so much more than just what what ends up on your strap in a day or a year or whatever you know, and, and, and friendship and family and all those things. So, I mean, I'm optimistic about the future just because uh, those things are really paramount and the things that are most important. Do I know what's going to happen next year or over the next decade? No, I mean, we may end up at three and 30 again. And if we do, I'm hopeful that our community will still be passionate and want to go and, and, want to be conservationists and all those things, you know, and only time's going to tell the story there, I guess. But I do feel like, you know, we have a group of people that are dedicated to realizing that all those other things are important from, you know, supporting all that with, you know, physical efforts and money and, and time and whatever the case may be that someone could, could give to it. I think a mindset, and it'll be interesting to see if we do go to a three and 30, how many people are still left and how, you know, how people act and, and deal with that. But what I want to say is, I, you know, there's so much that can be, you, you like you're talking about, the glory days are over and it's just no good anymore and all this and that. And this person's got all this flooded ag and this person's got this and this person's got all the ducks. It's like, you know, I, I just want to say that there's so many people 
and my best friends, my family, everybody that I know farms, I'm not in any way talking bad about farmers, but a lot of the guys that I hear complain the most about like, listen, if, if I'm going to go out and complain, I don't have any ducks to hunt. I probably don't have any ducks to hunt and there ain't much I can do about it other than say a prayer. But some of these guys that are complaining are literally worth tens of millions of dollars and have tens of millions of dollars worth of ground that yes, they're making an income off. So they don't necessarily want to do any hunting stuff, but it's like, Hey, I take my income and I pump it into the farms that I lease that I own that I do whatever with <clears throat> these guys have a chance. A lot of these guys have thousands of acres that if they wanted to dump some money into it, they could develop and have incredible spots and compete with a lot of these other private landowners that have incredible spots. It's just like, you know, I don't have a lot of sympathy for somebody who has hundreds or thousands of acres that they could be pumping money into that they're not. And that's fine, but they want a spot to hunt and they're complaining, you know, I want to go cash your check for 300 bushel corn. So, you know, we're, we're not, we're, it's give and take. It's just, you know, there's things that those guys could do that I could never do because I don't have the property, you know, as long as you've got property, you've got power, you know, the landowner's got the power in, in almost every situation. And, you know, some of these guys that are complaining the loudest have the most ground that's prime for development and in the best areas. So, you know, I think one way that we can all help the state of duck hunting is, you know, rather than complaining, look around at what we're willing to do. And if we're not willing to do anything with what we do have, then why are we complaining? Yeah, the other thing, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be negative here, but I'm just trying to be realist, and I hope this comes off in the way that I mean it to, but, you know, if you've got 20 acres right next to the railroad tracks that's nothing but mud and no food and a little bit of water and a blind that sticks out and whatever, I mean, come on, man, I mean don't don't feel like you should have the same results as somebody that has something better i mean i just feel like there are some people again i don't want to be negative but there's some people that just have very unrealistic outlooks on it's like i didn't i didn't i should get a limit four days a week why am i not getting a limit four days a week and it's like come on man just because you go you got to be realistic about what you have. Like if your place is absolute horseshit and, and we know those spots Oh, and it, they complain, sometimes they complain the loudest and it's like, man, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it, it, it's not even, you couldn't even kill a daggum blind spoonbill there. And I'm not trying to diss anyone, but at some point you got to call a spade a spade, man. I mean, some of these people have unrealistic expectations and some of them are very squeaky wheels. And it's like saying, I want to kill a booner every year and you're hunting in a Walmart parking lot. I mean, it's not going to happen. Well, and you know, and another thing is the people that think these state and managed areas exist or should, should exist to serve their property, wherever their property might be, you know, in relation and that's not just here that's everywhere but these guys that think that well i own a farm and i used to shoot ducks over here on grandpa's oxbow but now i don't kill anything because the ducks don't sit on this certain spot because they manage the area the way it's supposed to be managed and now it doesn't work i mean you know there's just so much of that you hear too and it's just like you know it's good and bad but it's just there's just so much complaining if that's you that is complaining um 
please stop. And if you have an awesome spot and you're still complaining, please invite me to go hunting. I won't complain. I'll be happy to be there. I, uh, I just think, I think uh, the state of duck hunting, in my opinion, has a lot to do with mindset. Okay, here's another one. When you guys were starting out Habitat Flats, how many full-time guys did you have on the duck side? And, and how are you balancing the, because, you know, people, people are like, man, I'd love to try to start a business, but I just don't have time. I got a job or I'd love to do this, but I just don't have time. I got this and that going on. So how were you guys, who was full-time with the job or were you guys full-time with Habitat Flats or were you running back and forth to work? I know the answer to this, so I'm asking it like that, but how are you making it all work um, time-wise, family-wise, work-wise, and, and what was the what was the layout like? Well, when we first, like even pre-Habitat Flats, we all were, I mean, we were passionate waterfowlers, right? I mean, Aaron and Tony and I, so we were all going and, and everybody knows waterfowling is expensive. I mean, it's, it costs money and we didn't have much. So even years before we started Habitat Flats, um, I was doing a little bit of guiding just to try to help to pay some of the bills and even before we owned any property, for sure, we were doing a little bit of guiding just to help to try to cover some of the costs of it. And uh, But then you look forward a little bit in the future, and we bought Locust Grove, and of course, hunting the property is not cheap. And so that was kind of the the beginnings of habitat flats really even though we'd all kind of done some guiding before that and when i say we all me and really me and tony aaron didn't really do much but but aaron and i and and mark shoot bought Lux grove and um we needed some money and and so aaron and i started hosting these veterinary veterinary groups and it was underwritten by drug companies the cost was uh, and we had a race administrator come and we would administer continuing education programs here at our house and so we would do that in the fall and tony would help us with the duck side and guide and you know figure out where we're going to hunt and all that stuff and then in the spring tony and tyson had their spring snow goose guiding operation here and, went, and i would help with that so we were kind of helping each other in the spring and the fall and of course we hunted together and we're in the same area and uh and so then aaron and tony came up with this idea they really hatched the idea for habitat flats and pitched it to me and i was like no i mean the piece of ground isn't for sale and we don't have any money and all that. And, and they said, well, just read the business plan, which they had put together. And I read it and I was like, man, you know, it might cost me some money, but I'm not going to the, I'm not going to go broke on this deal. I have faith that we'd at least have some income. And so I mean, there's a there's a photo book at the lodge that goes through it all, and it's pretty cool. But we did a lot of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, the desire was there, the want was there. We got creative on the financing side, and you know, negotiated some stuff with not literally any money, but plenty of want to, and uh, so we 
you know, put our necks on the line and, and leverage what we had and, and, uh, honest to God. And, and it's kind of, it should be a secret, but it doesn't really matter at this point, I don't guess, but we started Habitat Flats without any money and we never lost a dime. It was profitable for day one. And it is honestly the only business that I've ever started where I didn't put any money into it and I never lost a dime because generally when you have a startup, man, you're going to bleed and it's going to be painful and you're going to put in some long hours and you're going to ask yourself, why in the world did I do this? And, you know, my hat's off to my partners, Tony and Aaron, you know, they, they had the vision for this thing and, uh, and, you know, the timing honestly couldn't have been worse. I mean, it was 2008. We're in a recession. Everybody's charging 100, 200 bucks to go hunting for a day. And we came out of the gate saying we were $600. And we had our little crappy farmhouse here. Not, I mean, it's, it's okay, but it wasn't anything like it was no big lodge or anything. My dad was a cook. And we were, you know, we were guiding and we did have some premium hunting spots. That's for sure. We had some really good stuff. And, um, but man, I mean, you know, he just, it all worked. And, and honestly it worked because me and Aaron and Tony were, we were the guys. I mean, we didn't have hired guides, nothing against our guides that we have now, but we had to make it work, man. We didn't have any choice. I mean, we had no money. We had a lot wrapped up in this deal. We had a lot on the line. We knew our shit and we knew the people and we've been doing it for a long time. And we just, I mean, I know the, the name of the podcast. Thanks to Joe's the grind don't stop, but buddy, we freaking burnt the midnight oil and made sure that it worked. And you know, the people that come to Habitat Flats, even from the beginning, I mean, and I'm sure that go to other places, man, they're interesting people. They're successful in life and they're cool. And I mean, people think, oh my gosh, I bet you deal some real assholes. And, and occasionally you do, but by and large, people are just really great people. They come here because they want to have a good time and they've got the money to spend and if you can't have a good time with somebody that has been successful in life and has the money to spend and wants to have a great experience, then you're definitely in the wrong spot because, you know, we wanted to have a good time and we wanted to show it to them. And we had the stuff to have them have a great experience. And it was awesome. I mean, you know, those are some of my fondest memories and, and some, you know, really long-lasting friendships dealing with these people that are like you know people that are very very successful people and and uh you know they came to us wanting to have a good time and we were happy to show it to them and it it just really all came together at a terrible time in our economic situation i mean 2008 i don't have a crystal ball but i'm saying 2022 is going to be a whole lot like 2008 well you know you could be right. I, from the outsider's point of view, um, you know, the reason that a business like that goes good, and <clears throat> sometimes it's easy to see from backside, you know, obviously after however many years you guys have been doing it, but, you know, 
you, you and Aaron both, uh, both cool with, you know, rolling up your sleeves. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been swimming with the two of you guys when it's freaking freezing cold, getting creek pumps out. Or, I mean, what I mean to say is you guys are cool with doing the work, even as you're getting more properties and, and, you know, probably more money and, and, and getting a couple more years on, you guys are still cool doing the work. So the, the fact that you all are cool, you guys have great ideas. You're willing to do the work and Tony too. I mean, and another thing about Tony is we've talked about it before. It's like, you know, so many businesses fail due to lack of communication. And, you know, I don't know how it was then. I know everybody brought different stuff to the table, but like, you know, him now, like if you need, if you need info on whatever, like, Hey, Tony, what was that that we talked about the other day? Or <clears throat> do you remember that guy's name or blah, blah, blah. I mean, what was this info? I need this banking info or I need you to get me that. He's pretty on top of it. Like he's pretty on the booking side and all that kind of stuff. Like he's super oriented on, you know, detail oriented. It's so organized. And like, I can be like, Tony, I mean, he's in the field and I'll text him. I'm sitting in my damn computer, you know, and in my office and I'm like, Tony, but I need whatever, some K1 from 2016 for blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's extremely organized and yeah, he's, uh, he's got his stuff together. That's for sure. And that definitely is, is made a difference in, and the success of our business for sure. It's just a good, it's a good, you can't really say who's done more or who's done what, but it's just, it was a good partnership. And that's the best partnership, you know, you can look at and see that everybody put in a bunch. Our podcast, and I hope we're not getting repetitive, but, you know, I don't care what business you have. If you have a startup, you can't have somebody that's going to take more than the business can afford. So, you know, we didn't, we all had regular jobs and we all, made our living somewhere else so you know it was that that really makes the difference in a business being able to be successful you can't open something saying well i deserve a hundred thousand two hundred thousand three hundred thousand fifty that it pick a number it doesn't matter you can't do that like the business can only pay you what it can afford and if you want it to be successful you need to give it some extra TLC and and we were all in a position not that any of us were wealthy but we were all working our ass off other places where we could afford the business that luxury and then you know of course it it's taking care of us on the backside so but you guys you guys invested your time and you know that's what I hear people saying and it goes both ways but I hear people say like you gotta you gotta value your time and you gotta get paid for your time it's like well I agree. There's times you need to get paid for your time, the time that you work. And there's times that the work that you do and the time you put in is an investment. And usually you get a lot further when you're willing to put your time in for no pay and it's an investment than if you were to take an hourly wage for those hours. That's, that's what I've found in my short experience. It's like, you know, people will be like, you can't do all that stuff for free. It's like, man, it's not free. It's an investment in a relationship, in a business, in whatever, and I'm never going to be able to save my way. You know, you're never, most people aren't ever going to be able to save their way or earn their way into some of these opportunities. You've got to be willing to put the time in, make the relationships, make the connections. And then at the end of the day, you can make all the connections you want. If you're not willing to work and you're not willing to get after it, um, not much is going to happen. Yeah. And like, I'm sitting here saying this and I'm like, 
I feel like I'm beating a dead horse because I've said it so many millions of times, but then I sit here and think about it and I'm like, wait a minute, I do need to say it again because so many people make the same mistake over and over again where they feel like the business owes them something because they took the risk. No, that's not the way that it works, man. I mean, that's why so many businesses fail. You have to take care of the business. Like if you're going to, you're going to be the guy that puts your shingle out there. You've got to be the guy that, that sinks with the ship or sails with the ship. And you can't, you, you can't be unfair to it. You can't blow a hole in the bottom of the hole and wonder why you're sinking. You know, you've got to be a foster. And I mean, anyway, it's just, Absolutely. it seems like it's so simple and it really is, but so it's many people, miss the mark so much they just don't get it well, it's simple over again and it's it's really not that hard it's simple it, it the, the concept is simple but you know when you're sitting there working at a business and i'm cashing a check for whatever at this business or whatever at that business you know me i don't care it, i mean it when i say i don't care it doesn't affect me in the slightest but you know whenever i get a big check for better barnwood for instance or for joe iver media stuff you know sometimes it would be like nice to be like yeah well here's 20 grand. Well, hell yeah. I got 20 grand to go buy another truck or go on vacation or whatever, whatever, whatever. To me, <clears throat> it's easy because I'm just, I'm conditioned that way. I don't care. You know, it's an investment back in it, but you know, it is tough, especially if you don't have another source of income, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to keep that money in a business sometimes, but if you don't, you won't have that business to, to worry about anymore. Well, the other thing, and I don't want to, I mean, this is not a Ira telling anyone anything, but um, the other thing that is the truth about having a business is that, I mean, you see, let's just say you're successful and you see the big numbers coming in. Well, those are impressive. But the bottom line is at the end of the year, old Uncle Sugar, whether it's Joe or Donald or whoever, man, they are going to have their hand out. And I mean, I've been fortunate to have several businesses and Man, you know, you look at the end of the year and it's like you got a half a million dollars in the bank account. Guess what you owe in taxes? It works out every time. I shit you not. I don't care what the business is. Whatever you got in the bank account, and I'm talking about if you're running a business, it's good. You owe whatever the cash is you have in your bank account. So if you got half, it's half a million. You got a million, it's a million. You got 20 grand. It's 20 grand. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I've just seen it over and over, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying a me, uh, poor me deal by any means, but it is, it, it's crazy, you know. Um, but anyway, that's, that's another story. No, it's true, though. But, you know, it's cool because I know you guys were driving back and forth. Um, just an example of like that. You guys were, you and Aaron were driving back and forth high-fiving each other coming and going down the highway to to make it work so i mean it's you know well think about this you know halloween is often our opener very often or it's the second weekend and you know we had young kids so we'd drive home three hours to go to halloween with our kids and turn around at you know midnight and drive back to go guide the next day we did that for I don't know how many years, and that's just one example. But when we had the vet clinics, I mean, we'd come home, 
like I'd, I'd work at the vet clinic three or four days and then I'd come up here and I'd guide for whatever the other days were. And then I'd turn around and go right back and go right back to the vet clinic and then turn right back around and come here. And, but for me, it was refreshing to just have a change in pace, right? Like I believed in, I believed in our vision and it was something different, but I'm, when I tell you that I went to my family and people that were lot were relying on me for their daughters and grandkids and all that, and I told them that we were running a hunting operation when I was a daggum veterinarian, a doctor, and I'm telling these people I'm going to spend half of my time taking people hunting, they're like, you are an absolute selfish idiot and i'd be like well i agree on on the selfish part some degree but but we've got a vision and we believe in it and they're like you know there were some periods of time there where i mean i was questioning myself and they were definitely questioning me like what has my daughter done or what have we gotten into what is this i mean it wasn't quite as bad as being a heroin dealer but it was just right below that. But that's another, that's a thing though, man. If you're, if you're not willing, if you, and that's going to happen anytime, anytime you go to do your own thing, anytime you go to, to do whatever, a new business venture, a new idea, launch a new product, whatever, you're going to have people that are like, man, what are you thinking? Like, it, it's just, you've said it a couple of times tonight, but you have to be able to believe in the vision. If you don't, it's really easy to get discouraged. I know like whenever I quit, my sales job and started doing my own stuff. It was like, people were like, what, what are you going to do? It's like, and at, at, at some point I was like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but here's what my plan is. And so that's my I plan. Remember that. Yeah. I was like, here's my plan. I mean, my family was like, I don't understand what your job is. It's like, well, <clears throat> I have a, a marketing and media company. Do I have very many customers? No. Am I very good at it? No, but I'm going to figure it out. And then I'm going to invest in things as I go along. I'm going to solidify my position and, and, and open other businesses and this and that that's easy to say. And looking back, it's like, God, I don't know. I probably would have been asking myself the same thing, but you know, it's like, <clears throat> what, what are you, what are you doing? I, you know, I don't exactly know exactly how everything's going to go, but I know I'm going to figure it out. So if that means I got to go weedy at the golf course, or that means I got to go run errands for people, or that means I got to go do whatever, you know, I'll do it. But I never thought in my mind, oh, this isn't going to work out. <clears throat> I was like, it's going to work out. It's just going to depend on how much bullshit I got to go through till it does work out. So well, let's expand on that a little bit. So, I mean, I definitely remember that. And I remember you asking me my opinion on it. And you were making like, if I remember right at Rick, it's being a, a sales guy, which I mean, that's good money, right? And And you had a little bit of leeway and a little bit of, not not a whole lot, but a little bit of a little bit of freedom. I could hunt, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I could hunt. And, and I had, and the the so yeah. So I was making like, but then like I would hit, I would hit times where I would have a nice bonus. I'd be making a, you know more, but 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 long story short, a decent living for around here. Yeah, and then you know you were like, well, what do you think? And and I I do remember saying, hey man, I think you should take your risk when you're young. I don't really, I didn't really know like what your vision was for what you're doing because I did I I didn't understand that world. But but I did know 
we could, you know, we meaning Momarsh and whatever could contribute a little bit. And then, you know, I look at like now all the different, all the different things, like you talk about diversification, you got money coming from a hundred different spots and it's cool. And, you know, you could have just done the comfortable thing and kept on, you know, clicking along because you, you were doing good and you're a smart guy and you're motivated and you're, you're a great salesperson and all that. And, and you would have done better, right? Like you would have made more money and, and all that, but you know, you went down the path of taking a few risks and I mean, I don't know or care to know what all, but I know that it's been good for you because I mean, I can just do a couple of quick math on the stuff that I know about. And I'm like, okay, well, it's the, the kid's not, he's not in the poorhouse, which is good. Right. And, uh, well, you know, I, I was to me, just... as important as anyone's story on this deal, because, uh, you know, you were young when we met and, and you capitalized on what your strong points are. And now you're very successful at that. And you're diversified. You're not relying on one person or source of income or anything else. You've got it. You know, you've got a wide base. And regardless of what happens, you can pivot and shift and you're going to be good to go. Yeah. And like for me, I was sitting there at Ricketts and yeah, I was making pretty good money for area. A company truck benefits, blah, blah, blah. I was like, man, everybody was like, man, you got a great job. You could hunt, you can come and go. And I'm like, yeah, it's fun. I love, I really did. I love that job. And my boss, Seth Ricketts at that job was one of my still one guy that I talked to almost every day. Unbelievable business mind learned a lot from him, but I remember sitting there and I was like, I talked to you. I talked to Aaron, talked to a couple other people. I got mixed reviews, but I was like, you know, if I'm sitting here at this job making 150 grand or 200 grand at this job, I'm still going to be sitting here thinking the same thing. Like, man, I think I could be doing this or I think I could be doing that. And I'm, I remember when I quit, I was duck hunting in Sumner and I thought to myself, if I get my limit today, <clears throat> I'm going to go quit today. That's pretty jacked up, Joe. I mean, I'm just going to go out there and I, say I needed I- you're, when you're basing a life decision on whether or not you get a limited ducks, you got to be like 12 years old. Well, listen, I needed, I was scared to do it. I was kind of scared because I was like, man, my boss has been good to me. He's opened a lot of doors for me. He gives me a lot of freedom. And that's really the toughest part for me was that's a good friend of mine that their family has a successful set of businesses. They helped me out. So it's like, man, I don't want to walk into his office. You know, he would tell me like, man, I want you to, t- I want you to do this. I want you to do that. There was a clear path for a future where I could advance and which is all you can ask for as an employee. So I was sitting there like, man, I don't want to go have this conversation with this dude that has invested a ton of, of uh, time and energy and resources and, and faith in me, you know, let me, let me run a lot of stuff as far as not, not like I ran the business, but let me have an input on a lot of things that we were doing that I was doing so when I walked in there, I was like, man, I just, I can't do it. I'm like, you know what? I know if I get a limit today, I'm going to quit. If I don't, I'm going to keep doing this deal. And I, I know I'd have had that conversation with myself again soon, but I killed the limit. I literally got up, I walked out, I went to the store, I quit. And when I remember when I walked out, I was like, what in the. Must have been hunting with me because you couldn't kill a limit on your own for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was it. That's why I thought I wouldn't quit because I didn't think I would kill him. And then <clears throat> when I got. I remember when I walked out of that office, I was like, what in the hell am I going to do? Because I had like three customers, Mo Marsh being one of them. The other two 
one of them ceased to exist and the other one turned out to be a, a different deal. And so I'm sitting there with my Momarsh income, which wasn't that much. It was like 250 or 300 bucks a month. <clears throat> I got a house that's basically falling in around me. And that's not a joke. A 99 or a, two, joke. a 2000 Ford Ranger, a little bit of money in the bank, but not much. I paid off my school loans. I was smart enough to do that when I was working there, but I was like, what in the hell am I going to do? And I literally went out to the golf course and I was like, do you need help weed eating? They're like, you can weed eat in the mornings before people start playing. It's 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, I'll do it. So I did that every morning. And then I would just run errands for people like, hey, do you need me to go like contractors? Do you need me to go pick you up something with a trailer load of stuff? Yeah, here, we'll give you 50 bucks to go do it. All right. And I was sitting there with a college degree and, and left a decent job with a lot of connections. And then I'm sitting there, I'm like, what am I doing? Sitting in my my room with the, you know, sheet over my head, typing trying to type up proposals to people that were like, who the F is this guy? But no, it all, it all, it all works. It, it works crazy. Cause I just kind of kept going, but it's just weird how it starts it. I, everybody's always like, Oh, you've got so much stuff going on. It's easy for you to say it's not because it wasn't easy for me to do. You know, it sucked. It, I mean, you know, it's not like I've got it figured out now, but I've, I've got a couple trains rolling that I can, that I, you know, see paths for, but it, it's not like I quit and, you know, it's not, and Ira gave me some connections in the industry for sure some good advice, some good opportunities. The only thing I had when I left my job was, was connections. And it, you know, it's not like I was like, Hey man, here's 20 grand. I hope you can make it. But, but he could, you know, he could help me know some people and use him as a lead in for a couple of things that I did. Um, that connection was worth, who knows what those connections are worth, you know, uh, you know, not quantifiable, but I had some connections. I had no money and nothing else, but it's not like I just quit with a clear path to, to where I'm at now. And some of the things I've been able to do is like, I quit with, with no clear path other than, you know, figuring it out, getting it done. I knew I could do it. And, and that's not easy to, to bet on yourself all the time. It's, it can be tough. Well, now most of your money does not come from hunting world. I mean, no, you know, not hardly any. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's, it's, man, it's cool. It's just, it's just cool how it works out. But, but I, I, I kind of hit on it. The, in my opinion, the most important thing you can have is a connection. I mean, you know, I've got a ton of good ones. Well, the most important thing you can have is want to. No, that's true. But and, you know, and get up early and go to bed late and don't do like, like us old guys and get in the whiskey too early, for God's sakes. But without going, we'll end her up. When you're old, not when you're young. I know we've talked for a while, but. You know, you had a guy like Jeff Sharan. I mean, I know he opened, gave you advice and kind of helped open some doors for you too. I mean, it's not, it's not just me. I feel like a lot of people that have had some success can point to some connections and some advice that have helped them. Sure. Sure. But it, uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's funny how it's always changing, but, but I think one thing you could take away from this, that part of the podcast is, you know, <clears throat> it's not always cut and dried. It's not like Ira, you know, had a bunch of money off the bat and was able to invest in this stuff, just dump cash into it and go on down the way and, and not worry about it. You know, it was, it was very hands-on in all of this stuff. But I feel like most of our uh, guests and, and we'll see, there'll be a few that, that did have, you know, some money come their way, but so many of them are going to be people that made their own way, you know? And that's the fun part. Um, I think it's, I think it's cool. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I hope it gives you guys kind of an insight into 
how we kind of got rolling and, and, and are trying to get rolling. Um, I think some of our guests that we have on are going to be able to expand upon that. And, and we're going to hit a couple of people that are in some different industries. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be interesting too, to see how kind of the theme stays the same, but, but the, the components change a lot. So, um, Ira, if you got anything to end them with great. Um, but, but as for me, that's it. And I'm looking forward to the next one already. Uh, I do want to hit on, I, I want to ask people like, you know, I think we might ask this before, but if they've got people that they want or they, they think would be good guests, which Jim had several very good connections in our industries or suggestions, I should say, but you know, like some of my dream people to have on, on our podcast, uh, one would be Donald Trump Jr., I mean, he, he bought a boat from me, shoot, man, so long ago. And the dude is, a, he's a duck hunter and he's a, he's a true patriot and an American and people may have different opinions, but he is a no bullshit guy and he's a definitely a hunter and a conservationist. So I'd love to have him on. And Joe, a couple of years ago when he had hunters wholesale, he made a Trump trumpet, like a, a red and white MAGA duck call. He had uh, R&T make it a Mondo, and and uh, he gave one to Donald Trump Jr. So, I don't know, just like totally dreaming. Like, it'd be really cool if we get him on here. I doubt it'll ever happen, but if he did, it'd be awesome. And then, uh, you know, I'd love to have John Paul Morris on here. And there's a laundry list of people i'd love to have on with great stories like uh i mean bryce evans i'm sure has a really cool story i'd love to have him on here and and joe who do you have man i was just gonna say bryce evans um i think he would be i think bryce would be an awesome i think he'd be an awesome guy to discuss just kind of how he went from not having a place to hunt i've heard that story from bryce a few times from his son mac you know, going from not having a place to hunt to literally having the place that everybody drives by and wants to hunt, you know, and, and how did they do that? How did they take advantage of some opportunities and, and slide that into um, some very good money-making opportunities for themselves and also some very good hunting? There's, there's probably not a day that goes by or a season that goes by <clears throat> that those guys don't have a great A spot to go hunt whatever's in season. So, uh, you know, coming from somebody who said as a kid, it was begging people to take him hunting and just didn't have anywhere to go and had nobody to go with. I mean, it's pretty easy to just be like, you know what, we're just hunting's not for us, but whatever. They, they parlayed that through several different ways into one of the more impressive hunting property stories that, that I know. Yeah. And then like Pete Alfano, I'd love to have Pete on here with whitetail properties. And I, I don't know, there's so many people I'd love to have on. I've talked, I mean, not that this is a dream. I think we can get this done, but you know, I think Jimbo would be a great one. I think somebody like a, a couple industry guys that, that have done, been there, done that and made a big impact. Like <clears throat> I think Fred Zink would be a cool guy to have on. I know, you know him. And I think it'd be, he'd be a cool guy because from the Avery Pro staff to some of the carving and the calling stuff, I think he'd be a really good one too. Yeah. And then even guys like, uh, you know, some of the big realtors they deal with down in Arkansas. Absolutely. There's so many cool stories out there. Yeah. You know, those, those guys down there are, 
the duck properties they get to see and the connections they have. A guy like Ben Wellens would be an awesome guy to have on. A guy like Robert Eason would be a great guy to have on. Both of those guys are <clears> – they've got a niche down there in that in that uh, Delta region that is really, really cool. So, hopefully, you guys – we'd like to hear some people that you guys would like to have on. If it's pie in the sky, whatever, let us know. Um, if you have connection with some of these guys that we've mentioned um, – whatever great help us out do whatever but we would love to uh we'd love to hear who you guys would like to hear us have so um we'll be with you shortly we've mentioned a couple people we're gonna have and uh, and we're gonna record those this upcoming week i'm gonna sign off here i gotta get back to work ira's gotta get back to the whiskey but uh, have a baby tomorrow people i'm having a, my wife is having a baby in the morning so prayer a prayer would be great and i might need some whiskey after that too but uh no, we appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, look forward to the next episode. Later. My dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little, we called it the Mouse Mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. Because <laughs>